and he's doing fine. But I want to tell you this. You're in for a surprise because his better half is here. Let's go to the about gospel-centered worship and um, and Matt is not here but we're going to talk about some of his songs because actually Matt and Beth co-wrote 15 of the songs that he's kind of most famous for so you are really kind of the brains behind the operation in any way. Uh, Renella and I met Matt and Beth 25 years ago actually and have just enjoyed our paths intersecting and um, of course Many of us know Matt as just a, an incredible songwriter, uh, and uh, and yet Beth's not just a wonderful wife and a mom of five, and two of their sons are, are, are here, but um, she's also in her own right an, an author. She's a she's a TV presenter. She uh, gives lead to A21, which just stands for rescuing people from human trafficking, and uh, is an incredible uh, speaker and leader of of women in this. Um, in this region, and uh, so it's just delightful to have you, Beth. We really look forward to what you're going to say. Can someone get Beth a mic? You're just going to share mics? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe Sam, you and I will share mics, and we'll, we'll let her have her own mic. Shall we? <laughs> and uh, and then Sam, Sam and Becky are uh, on staff here at South Brea. Uh, Sam is Welsh. And uh, what, what are you calling about? Okay, you're distracting me. Um, and uh, Sam has actually worked and toured with, with Matt as a keyboardist for about 10 years um, and has just certainly been deeply impacted by, by him. Uh, but in your own right, you've, with your wife, written amazing songs, led on platforms all around the world. One of the things I love about Sam and Becky is that they are as comfortable on a platform with thousands of people as they are in a set-up and tear-down church plant. They've done them all, and uh, they've been an incredible gift to us. So let's give it up for these two. Yeah? Uh, just really appreciate you being here when your man is sick at home, and uh, we really look forward to this. And so we're going to talk for 20, 25 minutes. And then we're going to sing a little bit off the back. Are you ready for that? Yeah. Great. One of my earliest memories of, uh, of Ned Redmond was um, watching actually a video of him lead worship at the first Passion event. It was a famous event because it was out in a field. I don't know if you were there. You were. And it was John Piper's famous seashells sermon. Uh, and... Many, many people have talked about that seashell sermon in which he, he preached, God forbid, that our glory in anything save in the cross of Christ. And uh, have just heard how many people were either saved or were called to ministry during that sermon. And Matt led, oh, the wonderful cross at the end of it. And I remember watching uh, someone walk this old wooden rugged cross down to the front and then just 
spontaneously by the Spirit of God, just hundreds of people running to the front of the cross and, uh, and worshiping Jesus, time of consecration. And uh, in many ways, that's been a mark of your husband's songwriting and your songwriting with him. I don't actually know of any other contemporary songwriter that has as richly and repeatedly sung about the cross. And uh, I, I, I'd love just to hear from you what is it about the cross of Christ that has gripped your hearts? Um, tell a little bit of even just how Christ saved you when you first came to the cross and why is it that you always find yourself singing about the cross of Christ? Yeah, Matt and I were brought up in totally different parts of England, but we had the most incredible privilege to be planted in the most beautiful local churches where the cross was preached. And um, my husband lost his dad when he was seven. His dad took his life, and my husband took himself to church. So no wonder he just walked himself to church. He was really drawn, I believe, by the Spirit of God to go there. And, um, and then someone came into their life that my husband thought was actually um, a hero to him, but became an abuser. And um, so it's two fathers. Two fathers caused destruction, and the cross saved him. And he began to write these songs in the midst of the abuse he was going through, studying the book of Psalms, saying, I see a good father in there. I see a rescuer in there. I see a cross prophesied. I see a savior preached. And he began to write songs to himself about his God. And actually, he started off with poems, and he knew a couple of chords. And um, even that, isn't it beautiful? It's like what God does when the Spirit of God comes into someone. You don't have to have studied music here, there, and everywhere. You can just be someone in your room who's been saved with grace. And so Matt began to read those poems out in his beautiful little church. And someone said, put that to the three chords that you know. And made him get up. And then someone else kind of forced him to leave worship. But that was happening in his bedroom. That is what saved him. That's why he's alive. That's why he's here. That's why he can lead us in worship. Because that is what he set his hope on. And, you know, Rose talks about those things that we've gone through, you know. Or even 2 Corinthians talks about these things as being light and momentary troubles. You're like, well, that's like a wrecking ball. What are you, what are you saying? You said it's nothing compared to the eternal glory, and that's possible because of the cross. So we're not going to make much of the past. We're going to make much of the redemption that came through the cross. And so for me, I truly brought up in this beautiful Frontiers Church where the cross was preached, and I grew up in a really abusive environment, but a stunning local church. And honestly, I was just a bit naughty. Like, I loved Sundays, but I loved all the other wild stuff. And um, I couldn't quite figure it out. I think the scripture I related most to was like, why do I do the things I don't want to do? And the things I don't want to do, I do. That's my scripture. It's not good. Um, I had this incredible moment when I was 19. I just went on um, just a student weekend away. Um, and Steve Brading, who was one of the pastors at New Frontiers, was preaching. He's preaching the cross. I've heard the message of the cross my whole life. But when you're perishing, it's foolishness. But in that moment of salvation, the Bible says, for us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It transforms your life. And he preached the cross, and um, he happened to have this gigantic mountain behind him. And um, I'm looking at him, and I'm looking at this mountain, I'm like, God put that there. He just breathed that it was. And he sent his son, and everything can be different, and I want to give him my whole life right now. 
yeah, the, the, the cross is the undercurrent in everything. And that's what we want to preach because it's the gospel. We don't want to teach people to sing songs. We want to teach them about the power of the cross and where we're going if we live for Christ and we're saved by Christ. Someone asked me, like, aren't we going to have a sermon uh, tonight, you know? And I said, no, there's going to be some preaching, just not from behind a pulpit. So a little bit of a test. Don't ask me anything. <laughs> Please. Sam. Um, <laughs> here we go, buddy. I think one of the things that um, is a challenge, talking about the gospel, singing about the gospel, is the desire for new creativity. There's only so many ways that you can tell the old story. And I think very often people just go like, well, it's all been done, you know. And yet the Holy Spirit wants to inspire His people again and again and again. There's, there's all these facets of the gospel. We never mine the end of the gospel, the richness. And one of the songs that has been on repeat for me uh, is uh, a recent song that Matt um, wrote called Son of Suffering where again there's just a new facet of, of the gospel where he says some imagine you are distant and removed but you chased us down in merciful pursuit to the sinner you were grace and the broken you embraced and in the end the proof is in your wounds blood and tears how can it be there's a God who weeps there's a God who bleeds Praise the one who would reach for me. Hallelujah to the son of suffering. How do you as a songwriter and a worship leader find ways to mine this old truth of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus in fresh ways? I think when you have songwriters that write those kind of lyrics, you just... You just find those songs. <laughs> um, no, it's you know it's so amazing that we've got people out there that are that have given their lives to crafting songs and to pursuing new songs, even though these are ancient truths. That um, you know, and that's 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 what Matt does. That's what Beth's been involved. In, that's what we've tried to do, Bex and I, um, with friends over the years, is to write new songs. And um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I've learned so, so much from, from Matt over the years about all kinds of things and, and talked with him about songwriting and stuff. And um, for me, uh, yeah, it's just the, the collaborative thing. I, I think um, getting together with people who've walked journeys out together with their own gospel stories, their own um, different encounters and their own ways of expressing and speaking what they've you know, what they've experienced with Jesus, is, I think, has been a really key thing. Um, yeah, and so in that place, you come together and you find um, sometimes, sometimes new, new ways of saying these, these amazing things. But I think, I think it is about, um, yeah, looking, looking to uh, your journey and your story. And, um, you know, like we wrote this song that I, we haven't really sung in quite a long time called I Believe. Um, years ago um, when we had just gone through some real like tough uh, family, extended family like trials and, and things um, and we just, it took like 20 minutes, um, this song just kind of landed and it was one of those ones where you know, um, sometimes 
you know, songs are like usually 10% inspiration and like 90% perspiration. You know, you, you, might, you might feel great about this song, but then actually it takes time and work to kind of make the thing feel finished. Um, and then every now and then, like, it feels like, man, this just, God just gifted us with this song. Um, and uh, I think he does that too. I think he gifts men and women all over the world um, with amazing songs. And, and then he breathes on them. And I, I do believe he anoints songs to travel and to, to become global songs that the whole church, the whole church sings. Um, and it's amazing, yeah, when that happens. So. Another question for you. In this room, there would be leaders who either lean very much on historic hymns, just saying, man, those are the, the songs that really encapsulate the gospel. So we want to rehearse the gospel through those. And others that would be very much about, like, what's the new next anointed song and um, why for you is it important to have a range of both ancient and uh, and modern um, you've got a particular grid for choosing songs that that's really helped us span the ancient and the modern and everything in between and also lean into new ones tell us a little bit about that grid and why you think that's important for people to think about yeah, so we, you know, we've led for, uh, you know, enough years now that you kind of develop grids, you develop things that where you go, okay, like, that's how we're processing what we're doing. And we found in the last few years, this grid that's really helped us as we've led pretty much every Sunday um, in a local church context. And um, yeah, it's amazing how, how often I speak to other church leaders or worship leaders. And, you know, it's like, the j really just singing the top 20 songs that the world is singing right now. And, you know, that, that list, that list changes. And, but we found this grid that's really helped us where we're trying to make sure that we're like fully orbed and, and just well balanced. We have this diet of, of songs that are global, you know, the, the songs that the whole world is singing right now, you know, King of Kings or What a Beautiful Name or, you know, some of these songs that we all know, you know, Goodness of God is one of these songs that traveled. And then, um, and then we have ancient songs, you know, I was saying like hymns and songs that can, maybe they're 200, 300 years old and just packed, rich, full of truth. Um, then we have what we call tribal songs, which are songs that like we maybe came out of our community, our, our own church or our own story. So like that song, Humbly Onward, that we sung earlier, came out of like our church and our movement. And then the fourth one, um, we call it like heritage songs. So these are the songs that kind of we all grew up with. We've all been singing maybe since the 70s, you know, some of those great vineyard refrains or things that you go, oh, that is a throwback. Awesome, you know. And so... Um, We've tried to develop this fully orb thing where maybe not on every given sort of song list, but at least over the course of a month maybe, we know we've like dipped into each of these different things. And we just have found that's been a helpful um, kind of, you know, t just tester to, to go, are we, are we leaning too much in one thing or are we leaning too much in the other? And sometimes it, it's inadvertent, but we find ourselves going, man, we've just been singing all brand new songs, like the top 20 and, and, and actually... Um, yeah, we just know, right, that there's just so much, so much good stuff to just be mined, um, both with brand new songs, but with ancient songs, and yeah, that's that's, that's why we. That's great. So that just thing. remind us about those four. So um, global big songs that everybody's singing, yeah. um, ancient hymns, tribal songs from your own church, your own team that really have, have come out of your mm. community, and then kind of heritage, you know, those those great songs, some of those refrains from the last maybe 20, 30 mm. years. Great. Beth, talking about heritage songs, um, I remember visiting Soul Survivor, the church where you and Matt uh, led and, and met, and uh, 
it was uh, around 20 years ago, and God was doing a remarkable thing. It was a church that was quite famous for, for songs, and there was a big festival. Um, but on, on the night that we went there, like, there was no band, and everything had been stripped away, and uh, God was speaking to you as a church about the heart of worship, um, and that was a moment or a season that actually birthed the movement in many ways um, and a song that really shaped uh, worship around the world. Tell us about the heart of worship moment, the song, and the movement. Yeah, so Soul Survivor was just this little church plant that's kind of born out of an Anglican church in a really small village, but they'd experienced this kind of charismatic renewal, move of the Holy Spirit they'd never seen or heard of before. Um, and some of these songs began to flow, and they planted a, a youth church, and they had all these beautiful new songs, and people were coming. But then I guess um, with anything great, you know, with anything that's got a bit of momentum and excitement, there can be um, hype. And so it became a little bit hypey and felt like maybe there was more people lining up afterwards to be, you know, to have an experience with maybe the preacher or the worship leader. Because, you know, we're people on with sheep and we're always looking for someone to tell us where to go and what to do. We get, you know, we get easily kind of our eyes off Jesus, right? And so it felt like it had gone into a little bit of an, yes, there are beautiful things happening. The Holy Spirit is moving. People are being saved. People are being changed. But there's also something that feels a little bit like hype um, and something that's not healthy. And so the leader at the time, the pastor, Mike Pilavachi, he actually banned um, microphones and lights and platform. And he kind of turned it over to Matt and said, right, so just you're just going to have a guitar and then you just do whatever you feel like God is saying. And I think Matt was about 20 at the time, so that was not 20 years ago. Um, it was about 28 years ago. And um, it was actually our first date. So I was in the worship band, but I never used to speak to Matt. It's reverse psychology. It's how you get people to like you. You ignore them for two and a half years. It's very effective. And um, so we finally went on our first date. And because um, we were in the band together, he would often play me new songs. He's like, hey, I've got this new song, and I'm going to lead it in this moment. And all these people are coming, but I really feel like this is what God is saying and he began to play this song Heart of Worship when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart um, and if you know the song you know how it goes and if you don't I would really encourage you to you know go back and find that song because I believe it's thank the spirit of God is doing it again today um, and so Matt led that song and um it was amazing because it didn't lead to excitement or hype. It kind of led to a bit of an Isaiah moment. You know, when Isaiah sees the Lord, he doesn't go, wow. He actually goes, whoa. He has a really beautiful whoa moment where he sees himself as he truly is, a sinner who needs a savior. And God was magnified. And he's like, just whatever you want, here I am. <laughs> Send me. And it felt like that's actually what happened, that in that birthing, basically of just humbling ourselves before this great big God and just not getting carried away, God was magnified and people were humbled and God kind of put things right. So, yeah, it was beautiful. I know that you're a little bit 
nervous of this question, Sam, because you kind of asked me not to ask it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you've, <laughs> yeah, we go. Um, you've now been in the, in the U.S. for for five years. Uh, you guys love it. Um, you're not kind of always comparing. You know, you don't talk about oh, we got to go home. Home's better, etc. But you have been. Um, impacted by some of the strengths of the American church in terms of worship, and yet you've also been quite concerned about some of the ways the American church leans in terms of worship. And um, so you're among friends here. We're not going to... Uh, give us just Brit a sense of... Beth. Yeah, yeah. We'll get through this. <laughs> give us a sense of what, what, what you've really been impressed with. I mean, and, and you've traveled a lot in the States. Uh, in terms of generally, it's big generalizations, it's fine. Don't try and qualify. Just what are the strengths that you see? And then what are some of the things that, man, you know, we might be missing the heart of worship here? So there's, I think there's a couple of things. Um, you know, like England has this, you know, this old, rich heritage of hymns. You know, a lot of hymns came out of um, this little place. Um, and... Uh, they t they've tended to be, you know, they're very, very rich and full of truth, and they're they're amazing. We love them. We we st we try and sing and keep as many of them alive as we can. Um, although, you know, y you have songwriters like Fanny Crosby who wrote eight thousand hymns in her lifetime. It's kind of, and there are so many like her that you think, how on earth are we going to keep all of these things things alive? But I think um, what w what's been really helpful in the last twenty or thirty years as Americans. Uh, songs and songwriters have, uh, you know, the tide of songs is kind of maybe initially from England, and then in the last 20, 30 years, we've had more songs that this, the world is singing from, like Bethel and, and other churches um, from around the world. And I think what I've noticed is that the American church has really helped the global church uh, in terms of intimacy, um, where perhaps, you know, English people <laughs> struggle singing a more response songs. This Jesus, I love you. This is how I feel about you. You know, we have. Like right here in this county, we have a church that, um, you know, Vineyard Church that that really helped so many around the world express something of like intimacy and this is how I feel about you, Jesus, in a way that we just didn't know how to do, and and in a way that really impacted, I think, um, the kind of church that I kind of grew up in, like from the sort of 80s onwards. And then the other thing I think we learned is that it's okay to do things really well. <laughs> it's okay to be creatively excellent and and just. Yeah, we've just been, it's just inspiring, and we've been inspired by, um, you know, not just Ameri the American church, the Australian church too, but um, I think one of the things that, uh, you know, is a little bit a thing to be looking at and praying about and, and just concerned with is, you know, we do have this, like, problem with celebrity. It's not actually new, um, but it is a thing. It is something that I think, um, you know, I really, really believe that God raises people up. He raises people up to, to deliver amazing songs like, like Matt and, and so many others. He, he raises up these people. And I think what we need to be doing as the church is, um, is just understanding, like, man, God has raised this, this person up. And they're a huge blessing. And, and their songs and the things that they gift us with are amazing. But actually, Jesus is going to always be my king, my, my idol, my savior, the one that I'm actually the most passionate about. And I think 
um, yeah, those lines, those lines in the American church with, with the celebrity thing, and you know, you can get a ticket to a concert, to a performance by a worship artist, you can get a VIP ticket if you want, you can get, like, what does that even mean? I'm, I'm not really, I'm not really sure where we're at with that stuff, and so there's, there's stuff, and I think a lot of us are, are aware of that, you know, and we're seeing that going on, and um, yeah, I think we're, even COVID, right, it helped, it helped ground us a little bit, the, the arena shows, and the tours, and all of that stuff stopped for a while, and Gave us a moment just to, to, to breathe and, and just go, okay, Lord, um, we want to get back to the, the heart of worship. And so Beth's right. It is, it is something that I think is beginning to stir again as we find, yeah, ultimately it is Jesus who's, who's the prize. So, so good. I want to start bringing this into land. I feel like we could talk for hours. I, I'm really enjoying this. I hope you are too. But um, Beth, one of the things that the gospel gives us a framework for um, is suffering um, where we look at Jesus suffering and we understand that such great good came out of his suffering as a savior on a cross it infuses meaning into our lives when we suffer that God is actually still good and he is working for our good and his glory and I think one of your and, and Matt's real gift to the church in the last 20 years is you've given us language for praise in suffering. So I think of Blessed Be Your Name. I remember singing that song when it first came out and going, I don't know if I know another song like this that's written from the book of Job um, that's, that's teaching me that God is good in the midst of suffering and then, oh no, you never let go and songs like that you co-wrote those what was going on in your life that actually caused you to write those songs that helped us to praise God in suffering well we get our theology for suffering from the word of God from Jesus he taught us how to bear up under suffering and he he also taught us through the word of God that isn't this amazing that if you suffer and you walk with God your suffering is producing something in your life that is good. Is that not mind-blowing? Is there anything else like that? Jackson, for homeschool, because he's going through a spine surgery and some recovery and things, so he has to do Bible memorization with his favorite teacher ever. Um, And so um, we reminded ourselves of some really good truths, and we just did Ephesians 6, right? Remember it? 10 to 12? And it says, finally, brothers, be strong. You do. I fact-checked you earlier. Finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So how, do, how can we be strong? I can't be strong. We can't be strong. But you can be strong when you suffer in God. And I love that one of the arrows that was fired at Paul was like, you can't be the real deal because look at you. You're a mess. You're suffering physically, emotionally. Things aren't going well. Your numbers aren't great. But it was that suffering that actually qualified him because he was sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. And so he taught the, his disciples in 2 Corinthians. He says, it's that suffering that I'm going through is where I experience the comfort of God. When I experience the comfort of God, I get to be a mediator of Christ's comfort. So basically what he's saying is our suffering equips us to mediate God's comfort. So that's all we did in song. And that first song you referenced, Blessed Be The Name, we were in our 20s, I think we were 25, and we just moved to Newport Beach um, for a short season to help with a church plant and for Matt to do some writing. 
And uh, we were supposed to move on September the 12th, 2001. And um, that wasn't a good time to move to America because of what happened on September the 11th. So we ended up being on the first plane out of London Heathrow. Um, it was 100 Marines on that plane. And um, it was a terrifying atmosphere on that plane. It was, a, it was a destabilizing atmosphere when we landed. And we went to a local church that Sunday. And we didn't really know what to sing. We genuinely didn't know what, what do you say? Because you know God is good. You're, that's not in question. But what do you say to people whose bottom just came out of their world? What do you tell them about God? And so Matt, um, he kind of constantly thinks in songs. And he just kind of walked past me and was like something was happening. And um, he just stopped with his guitar and he said, hey, I, I've just been reading the book of Job. What do you think about this? And so literally we're just doing life in our house, kind of just writing this song from the book of Job. And, um, and so one of those big moments in the song is you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. And lots of churches refuse to sing that part. You're like, I think it's in scripture. Um, <laughs> so that's what was going on. Um, and then, you know, we've gone through seasons where you're like, I've got to, I wrote it, I've got to live it. And um, you have to relearn a theology for suffering when things you didn't bank on happening happen. Who is God now? And that's what happened to Mary and Martha. They're like, he's my BFF. He comes to my house all the time. We're like, a, you know, us and Jesus and Lazarus. And then Lazarus dies. Who's Jesus now? What's their theology of suffering? Only one of the sisters goes out. The other one's in the house. She sat down. She's like, mm -mm, I'm not ready to talk to this Jesus because he didn't come through. And so she has to relearn, who is Jesus to me now when my brother's dead? And I think we probably all had those moments. And that's what the You Never Let Go song really was. That was a moment for us. And we were hosting a big party for my 30th birthday for basically our whole community. We'd invited like totally over-enthusiastic is me, like big vision, low capacity. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'd invited 100 people to our house. And the night before, I had our sixth miscarriage. And I'm just like, with every fiber of my being, I want to pull the plug on this. Who has ever idea this was, this is terrible. And so we just sat by the fire, absolutely crushed. You know, who is Jesus now? What do we tell these people who's coming to our house, who are watching us go through this? Um, what do we do? Um, we were going to have a gospel choir, and it was going to be fun. And so Matt was like, we're going to write about who Jesus is to us now. And that's what we knew to be true. We knew that Lazarus does not always rise from the dead. Sometimes Lazarus dies and we don't understand. And we wait for Jesus and he does something else for someone else, but he's still good. And he does that for the future glory because he's gonna do something better, better than we could imagine. You're like, better than my dead baby? He's like, oh, better than my dead, your dead baby. Because one day in eternity, you're going to get to name those babies. And you're going to get to live forever with those babies and worship me and glorify me. And you're going to bring a ton of hurting people with you. And so we stood up and we sang that song when there was no bow or happy ending. Um, but what is amazing about God is that um, 
like on the front row, our son Rocco, he's 16. He's a sign and a wonder because his life came after that season. And that to me is just such a symbol. Um, like when, you know, the raven goes out and he comes back, you know, and you're like, there's new life. God is faithful to the promise. Sometimes there's devastation. Sometimes there's destruction. And we're not going to know the answers. And are we going to still love him? Are we going to still worship him? We're going to wait on him? Are we going to help other people when they're like Mary and Martha? Like one sits down, one goes out. We want to learn how to sit with both of those people and give them a song to sing about Jesus and trust him to be faithful to the promise, whether that's on in this life or the next life. So that's what those songs are about. Well, are you ready to sing? If you can't sing after that, I'm not sure. Let's stand together. Thank you so much, Beth and Sam. You've just done fantastically. We so appreciate it.